Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Of course, memories and emotions will still affect you. And in a way, it's not nice because it doesn't feel nice, but it's endearing that even after almost five years, a couple of lines from a song can bring her back in that moment. This week on Grief Encounters, we are joined by Laura Kennedy. I have been a, an admirer of her writing for quite some time. Um, and really, it's been her writing about grief and the loss of her mother, Emma, that has stood with me and has been something that... I've thought about a lot um, ever since my own mother died. And I think Laura has done wonderful, wonderful work by sharing her story, by being so open about the realities of grief. And that has, I think, helped so many people. And I think this chat will too. Our guest today is a writer who has done incredible work over the last four years in opening up the conversation around loss in Ireland and in the UK. Laura Kennedy lost her mother, Emma, to pancreatic cancer in November 2015 and has written extensively about the realities of grief ever since. There was a line that Laura wrote um, that stood with me so much. It has stuck with me for a really long time, and that is, quote, it's rare that when someone dies, we can feel peace about it. Because I think so often we are told that people are in a better place or that the person is at peace and oftentimes grief doesn't reflect that. Laura, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. Can you tell us um, a little bit about your wonderful mother? Um, I can. Uh, <laughs> it's it's such, such a general question. I think maybe it's an interesting first question, isn't it? Because it's a little bit... Uh, grief doesn't ever go away, obviously, mm-hmm. as you know. and It's something you're sort of perpetually navigating. And when you're asked a general question like that about somebody who's dead, yeah. you kind of think... You kind of need to reduce them in order to answer the question, and that's a really weird thing to have to do. And you kind of think, well, what do I say? Um, So, yeah, I mean, my mother was a single mother, and she was born in the UK to Irish parents and moved to Limerick when she was thirteen. She never really quite fitted in, Um, and she, even towards the end of her life, she kind of stood out a little bit and was a a little bit of at odds with her environment. so she raised my brother and I in Limerick um, alone, mm. and she had a comparatively difficult, kind of thankless life, really, I think, which is why, in part, her diagnosis at uh, 56 mm. or, um, and her death at 57 was so difficult to cope with, although, obviously, every death is difficult to cope with, and the circumstances of it can always be called upon to justify that feeling. 
Yeah. I mean, because she had gone through a lot and like you said, she, you know, there's always that hope that the person will live long enough to see a, a different phase of their life, you know, like a um, an easier time or an easier phase. Mm. Um, I think, you know, my mother died when she was 63. I know that was something for me that I really had hoped that maybe in the latter part of her years, she would find a lot more enjoyment in life. Mm. Yeah, I mean, my own mother was very much on the cusp of that. You mm. know, it was kind of, I think she was a few years off paying off her mortgage um, by herself, which is an incredible achievement. Mm. But also that mortgage was just a symbol um, throughout my childhood and adolescence of, you know, this kind of immovable burden that she was always terrified of and struggled every month to pay. So this concept that she was almost there mm. was really um, powerfully motivating to her. And she was working two jobs. Wow. Even then, when she was diagnosed, um, to, to kind of get that done. And it was this immense achievement that she could see, you know, within um, reasonable distance. And obviously, she never made it there. Yeah, well, that's very hard. It doesn't matter how many years later, that's really hard to make, you know, to look back and say what could have been. I think it's one of those, it's one of the aspects of grief that kind of, um, and, and death that strikes you in somebody that you love. Uh, is diagnosed with a terminal illness, which is just the kind of um, the mundanity of it yeah. um, and the uh, the ambivalence of it, um, or maybe even apathy is a better word. You know, like mm. obviously cancer doesn't care, <laughs> you, you know, what you've been through up to the point when when you're diagnosed with it, mm. um, and and none of the kind of uh, none of those mundane aspects of being alive go away. So you know that bill for the mortgage comes in every month and, um, you know, you still have to buy food, you still have to, you know, pay your taxes, you still have to do all the stuff you did before, um, but you have to do it with the knowledge that, you know, you're going to die soon and people around you have to kind of navigate that with you. And it's all, it's this strange um, friction between the knowledge that suddenly all of this mundane stuff is completely meaningless, you know, relatively speaking, in the grand scheme of things. But you still have to do it. Um, and it, those mundanities were kind of the defining features of my mother's life. So the fact that they remained there when she was sick, um, it felt a little bit like a cruelty and it mm. felt a little bit inevitable as well. Of course. And I think, you know, you you have gone to the, the places that I find very admirable because you, you talked a little bit about the insecurity and being frightened in those days, in those, you know, those days after you've been diagnosed and those days in hospices. Um, I think with both of my parents, the thing, they both died in, in a hospice, different hospices, but um, I was so overwhelmed by how frightened they were and how how scared they were and trying to help them through the process. I mean, was that something that was very difficult for you as her children to try and navigate? When I kind of think about the months the weeks directly after her death, it's kind of a blank, you know, mm. I think grief sort of blacked them out. And I have a little bit um, of a similar experience around her diagnosis. Um, I remember kind of having an inkling before it happened that it was going to be a worst case scenario um, situation, uh, which it turned out to be. But mm. she had always been the person who just sort of got stuff done, as it were, you know, yeah. and, and I think um, it, I've always been very interested in emotions and went on to, to study those 
um, and do a PhD in philosophy related to uh, emotions because I hate them, <laughs> because I think they're interesting, and because my mother always was so strident about controlling them, you know, mm. that they're relevant, but they're not necessarily true. Um, so how I felt seemed just not particularly relevant. You know, her need was evidently greater. And, of course, I mean, as anybody would, I completely uh, deconstructed myself every evening when I had, um, you know, privacy in which to do it. But it just felt like a burden she didn't need to do it in her presence, you know. Yeah. And also gives you a sense of function, I think, as you probably know, and usefulness to think that you can do small things to help that person yeah. and make their burden a little easier. So you focus on that and hold on to that. Of course, and I think, you know, they become the things later on that you're very glad you did because mm. those are the special moments between you that you got to do something for them when they did so much for you. Yeah, I mean, it, it also is it's a very sudden, um, a very sudden and striking and slightly disturbing if you had time to contemplate it, which, of course, you don't really until no. afterwards. Um, role reversal in that you become instantly in the moment of that information being conveyed to you, the parent of your parents, really. Mm. Um, because it just isn't reasonable to expect them to be able to cope with any greater burden than the knowledge of their own impending death. Um, so you just have to take care of all the rest of it. Yeah, I couldn't relate more to that sentiment. There was also a story you told about uh, the Christmas tree in the hospice and when your mother um, said to you both that she didn't think she'd be able to make, you know, she didn't think she'd be able to make the dinner that year. Um <laughs> I remember my mother died in August um, of 2015 and I was going everywhere trying to find a miniature Christmas tree because I mm. wanted to recreate Christmas and like it was just the stuff you do it's just so funny but my mother was going I don't know why we would do this I'll be fine like I'll be out of here by then and like we won't we'll just have regular Christmas and it's when they say something like they started the penny starting to drop that maybe they won't be you know there and you know those moments are are they hard to think of now or is that a memory that makes you that makes you feel good um i think maybe somewhere in between i think whenever i talk about this stuff one of the most irritating things i think about going through grief and anyone who's experienced it will know is that you kind of never reach any form of finality with it so you never fully um you never fully, completely leave the mindset you had, you know, the day they died. Um, there's always a part of you that is, is stuck back there a little bit and kind of, um, you know, still feels guilty, still feels the kind of pain that you felt when you heard them say something that implied that, you know, maybe they didn't know yeah. that they were where they were in those moments um, and still feels a kind of a sense of um maybe comfort that they didn't know. You know, when my mother said that she might not be able to make Christmas dinner this year, that was a few uh, days before she died. Mm. Um, and it kind of gave me a sudden realization that maybe she thought that she was, you know, further away from death than, than the rest of us thought she was. Yeah. Um, and it made me simultaneously, obviously, very deeply sad and also a little bit comforted on her behalf that, you know, maybe she didn't realize quite how bad she was at the time yeah um but but you know you kind of you never really know whether it's better for a person to be fully aware of exactly where they're at or whether it isn't um and, and we always felt that you know it was never appropriate to be dishonest with her so if she asked a question we would answer it honestly yeah 
And that's a hard position for children to be in, no matter what age you are, because you're making a judgment call for for them. Um, mm. And like you said, when you have such respect for someone, and especially in your mother's case, where you had such respect for her, you want to make the right decision and do what you feel she would want most. Um, and obviously, if honesty is at the core of your relationship and who you, you know who you, what you guys were, you want to be honest. But it's a it's a it's a frightening thing to tell you know to be the bearer. Sometimes doctors don't get through the same way or they don't hear it in the same way. But sometimes they feel like a lot of times people look for their loved ones to be the ones to kind of be lay it straight for them. Um, mm -hmm. But that's not that's certainly not an easy place to be. Um, in terms of being, you know, you said it, it doesn't go away and, and it doesn't. Um, and I think even when you're saying about when you, you can always go back to the day and the, the pain it's like it's almost just right under the surface. Whenever you access it, it's right there. Um, how does it feel like now coming up on the five years and you're looking back? How do you cope with it now? What are the kind of ways that you think grief kind of is embedded into your life? Um, I think it's, uh, it, I mean, it's, it's very different now, which I think is important to say especially for anybody, you know, who's in the beginning stages, um, because those beginning stages are completely awful. And, you know, there's something very, very close to shock, even when you expect it, because obviously you find yourself suddenly facing and uh, being just required very cruelly to adjust to um, a version of your life that you never planned and didn't want. Mm -hmm. um, so you have that kind of initial shock to which everybody um, has immense sensitivity, or I hope, <laughs> Most people experience great sensitivity from people around them when they've experienced loss at first. Um, and then, you know, the kind of the world speeds back up and, and people um, go on ahead in their lives and you kind of have these anchor weights and you're sitting there in the bombed out wreckage of, you know, what you what used to be your life. And you're, you, you can, it's kind of a dangerous period because you can become resentful of other people, you mm. know, for their seemingly carefree lives. And of course, they're not carefree. It's just a your world has contracted um, and I think that people in grief understandably become quite self-absorbed and narcissistic and um, you know pessimistic um, mm. and I'm certainly guilty of that but then as time passes uh, you know it, your world expands a bit again um, or hopefully it does and uh, I think I got there by accepting how I felt um, which I think is really important it sounds very obvious but um, you know, if you resist it or ignore it, I think it's very dangerous um, because you kind of just set it aside for a minute and um, essentially you sort of give your grief a little respite rather than yourself and it becomes back more powerful mm. uh, after after distracting yourself from it. Um, but, I mean, it's still, it absolutely still manifests and it does it in that kind of sneaky way that grief does. You know, something will come to you unbidden, uh, you'll hear a song somewhere mm. in a shop, and you think, oh God, <laughs> yeah. even now it happens. Yeah, of um, course it does. I mean, for someone that you said earlier, you hate emotions, which made me laugh. Because um, when, <laughs> when you're grieving, dear, dear Jesus, they, uh, they, they are unpredictable and they come mm. often. Um, like, did you know that about yourself before gr grief that you hated emotions? And then if, if so, how was, how was that when you were faced with a lot of them? Uh, well, I mean, I should moderate my statements. That's a very emotional <laughs> statement to make about emotions. Um, 
I just like them, I think, just because, uh, you know, we tend to view how we feel very intensely. Essentially, we, we tend to view intensity of feeling as a kind of an indicator of truthfulness. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I feel really powerfully, say, offended by something you said, then it must be incredibly true that you said something offensive. And obviously those two things aren't connected to each other. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the interest in emotions really came from my mother and it's always been there. Um, and I, I've always been really passionately interested in Stoic philosophy, particularly as a way to manage emotions. And obviously it's influenced psych- psychology and kind of um, therapeutic methods that we use even now, like cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. All of that is based on Stoicism, um, which is pretty impressive. So so I do utilize that. Um, but it, I think we tend to look at Stoicism these days as... Um, about repressing your emotions, uh, and it's really not. So, I mean, obviously, in grief, you kind of, you are little other than emotions. You kind of are reduced to this being of emotions, and emotions are physical as well as metaphysical. Um, You know, they make you ill, they make Mm. you eat too much or eat too little, Mm. um, or, you know, they make you need to go to the bathroom unbidden and then get there, and then you realize there's nothing to do. (laughs) <laughs> they're essentially incredibly treacherous. Mm. You kind of have to just manage them. And I think, obviously, I don't feel um, the rawness of emotion that I felt then. And I think mm. it would be deeply concerning if I did. Yeah. Um, but I do feel the depths of emotion. Yeah. Uh, but obviously, I've learned to um, recognize it better and cope with it better. Mm. And also, just, I think, treat my responses with a bit of understanding and kindness, you know, because you can kind of think, oh, I feel like such an idiot getting obsessed in the supermarket because of the song that came yeah. on. But then you kind of think, oh, it's just, you're a person. You know, you're not impervious. You're not, um, of course, memories and emotions will still affect you. And in a way, it's 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 kind of, it's not nice because it doesn't feel nice, but it's endearing, I think, that even after almost five years, you know, a couple of lines from a song can bring her back in that moment. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. And and that is something 
that is fascinating about death and loss is that the fear is that the person will be far away from you and gone after years pass. Mm. And it doesn't, in my experience, it doesn't seem to be the case. I mean, there's times or there's moments where you, you really feel like you wish they were there and they feel a million miles away. And then there's other times where you feel you can, you can conjure up their voice, their face, their touch, everything in one second in your brain. Um, whereas somebody you would have known 10 years ago who you haven't seen in 10 years, you can't even imagine them at all. It's a strange, it's a strange thing. Um, I think learning from like, this is a tough one and, and feel free if you d totally disagree with me because like you might, you easily might. I think a lot of people would, but there's like, a, I've learned a lot in grief about myself and emotions and the world and people and empathy and all kinds of things. And it's not to say that there's a silver lining or that I've made the best of it or something like that. I just, that's just the honest truth for me. Um, because mm -hmm. when my father died, just like you, you were talking about, I led my, my emotions led to me being reckless and, um, you know, making really rash decisions. Whereas when my mother died, I kind of said, okay, if you let this, rule the show and in terms of like your finances or just the, the practicalities you can't let it go there um i almost put kind of a boundaries around where if where it could go um because i was yeah. sort of afraid of the uh, the enormity of it and what it could do you're obviously a very smart woman who is very interested in learning so do you feel like you have learned more about who you are through losing oh gosh yeah yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, th I don't see how you couldn't. I think maybe some people don't like to say that because it's as though saying something good came mm. of the death of someone I love. But mm. something good comes from everything, no matter how awful it is, you know. Um, so, in that sense, that that is that is something I gained and benefited from out of this, you know, objectively horrible situation uh, and i don't i don't think there's any inherent betrayal or, or um you know minimizing of the awfulness of it to say that mm. um you know it it's it's it sort of equips you with skills that you didn't think you could develop um, mm. and and makes you the kind of person who can cope with things that you always feared you couldn't i mean in my childhood because i was raised by a single parent I had this, um, definitely in retrospect, psychologically really unhealthy obsession with the idea that my mother would leave mm. um, when I was quite young. And, you know, I remember specifically uh, when I was growing up that her dying was just the greatest fear for me because we were quite isolated as a family. It was my mother, my brother and I, and my father uh, had a, a drinking problem. So anybody who, you know, comes from that kind of background um, knows that those sorts of families kind of shrink in, you know, because yeah. that person with a, with a, an alcoholic can turn up at any time, and, you know, kind yeah. of embarrass you and ruin everything. So you, you stop socializing and you really kind of galvanize into this little unit. And it's not that healthy, but it's it's a coping mechanism. Mm. Um, so I kind of got to my teens and really my mother was my person. Um, so the idea that she could die and that I could, you know, live a functioning um, you know, kind of decent life after that. It, it, I, I legitimately thought I couldn't, mm. um, but but of course I can, and that in itself also is not a betrayal. You know, mm. um, I think sometimes we tend to think about uh, 
we, especially Irish people, we have a terrible habit of sanctifying people after they die. You know, we kind of, it's as though we can't remember the, the, the bad aspects of them. Yeah. Um, we have to remember them as this saintly person, uh, you know, who always put the toilet seat down, and, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, never made an error and was never prone to pettiness or, or being flawed like everybody else. I'm bringing Twitter into this, which is extremely lame on my part, but I tweeted the other day. It was after, I don't know what it, what it was about the hearing about Caroline Fleck, but there was this thing that just kind of, I couldn't get out of my head, which was, it's a very Irish thing as well. It's, no one ever had a bad word to say about him. And that's like the mm. best thing you can say about someone when they die. Like, oh, no one ever yeah. had a bad, but like, that's an unrealistic. No, who lives, like, I don't think that there's many people who live their life day to day and there's not a bad, there's not a bad word said about them. Like, we're all really human and flawed. And I, you know, I really felt, I feel so, her situation is so sad because there was publicly living out these scenarios. It doesn't make her any any less, any different than the rest of us. Um, and the idea that, you know, we have to kind of look look back at people and think of them as wonderful is the only option. <laughs> like, we don't get to think of them as anything other than wonderful and great. And it complicates things for us because none of us are that. Yes, I, I think that's true. And, and it also, if you only remember the good aspects of somebody, it does kind of... It can lead you into this dangerous ground, particularly, I think, with a parent, when you a parent of kind of living your life in memoriam to them, you yeah. know? So they would have wanted me to do X, they would have wanted me to be Y, so I'd better do that. Yeah. Um, when, you know, you probably honor them better by equipping yourself to use the skills they gave you to make the best decisions for yourself. Um, you know, particularly if you find yourself doing things that you don't like because, you know, your mother or your father would have wanted you to. Of course. Um, um, I remember in therapy as well, I went to therapy after both my parents died. And one of the things that she said to me, she was a really great and really honest counselor. And she said, you have to be careful of um, grief. If you grieve people only when you're glorifying them, you don't actually grieve properly because you're not grieving the mm -hmm. real person. You're grieving a version of them. And someday you will have to grieve the rea the realities of who that person was. Um, which I thought was quite a powerful thing. Um, Laura, thank you. I, I'm going to stop here because I think we're running out of time. I cannot thank you enough for taking the time out to talk to us about your mom um, and and how you know you have shared this with the world has been so helpful. I know it's been very helpful to me um, to be able to read about your journey. So thank you so much. No, thanks. It's um, It's been a little while since I've talked about it, so I hope it was coherent. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 